Offscript with Super E recommends listener discretion as these real but sometimes uncensored stories can be filled with mature content. Hello everybody, Jay here with another episode of Offscript with Super E. We've got kind of a different setup going on. Normally, I'm at A-Train Studios, sitting next to my good buddy A-Train, but damn if he didn't go and get the Rona. So, <laughs> he got the Rona. He's got the Rona. So A-Train's at A-Train Studios. Jay's at the new uh, equipped Jay Studio. And as always, Super E's in Super E-Land at his own private lair. Fortress of Solitude. Fortress of Dude, so, uh, A-Train, how you feeling, buddy? I'm feeling fine. <laughs> oh. No, I'm, I'm good. I'm on the downward uh, cycle of the uh, COVID. Um, I'm feeling fine. If I sound a little hoarse, you're just going to have to live with it. That's good. And I think we do need just for context to let, because um, I don't know that we ever give the date. We just kind of watch these. This is October 4th, 2022. So Adrian got the Rona in October of 2022. I know. I made it two years, didn't get it. Now you I got did. it. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm immune. I can't get it. I'm, I'm just immune. Okay. Uh, hey, how about you? Have you had the Rona? I got it before uh, everything went crazy. It, it uh, ran through this side of my world. And uh, luckily my wife had a bunch of dog antibiotics laying around that I took and what, that, that what, cured wait, me. What, what, what was that again? Oh, uh, the antibiotics that my wife gives the dogs. I was like, my head was splitting. I was like, man, this is bad. My throat was killing me and I felt like shit. And I was like, Hey, wait a minute. There's the antibiotics we give to crypto, the Chihuahua. And I started taking them. Four days later, I was perfectly fine. Oh, my God. Um, uh, so you didn't take the horse pills. You took. No, 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 no. I, I didn't take whatever that shit is. They squeeze in the horses. No. And uh, hold on a minute. Didn't Rogan get in a bunch of trouble? Yeah. I, I, no, we're on thin ice now. That's all we needed. Now we're going to. Oh, my God. That is fantastic. Well, all right. Well, we know Super E took dog pills. Uh, Super E? Yes? Are you ready to finish your tale? Because when we left off, it was uh, you're just getting released from the hospital after you had been shot by a bad guy. Uh, you Hey, Trent, do you want to recap at all, or do you want to just let him launch right back into uh, where we left off? Well, I mean, I think just, I mean, in a nutshell, you know, Super E, they, they were doing a search warrant, and bad guy was laying in wait for him, shot him, and Super E returned fire, and Super E ended up with a gunshot wound um, in the hospital. Uh, it sounded really scary. Um, and when we stopped the story, he was, uh, he was being treated in the hospital. 
Right on. All right. And I'll, I'll pick up from there. And uh, once I got treated at the hospital, um, I was there for a few hours. And they basically, it was a, it was a uh, through and through, clean through shot. And they loaded me up with Dilaudid and then bandaged me up and sent me home. But they drive me home and, you know, my kids are there. My wife was there. My dad was there. Everything was cool. Next thing you know, I start bleeding profusely again. I don't know what kind of bandit they threw on, uh, but apparently it didn't stick very well. And I start bleeding profusely. I'm like, I think I need to get back to the hospital because it was not going to stop. And I know there's there is a finite amount of blood in you before you die. So I was like, get me back to the hospital. I get back to the hospital. And then the shenanigans start, basically. I get back to the hospital and I'm I'm in the they give me a room. And then the next thing I know, it's like everything goes on super lockdown. And I'm like, what is going on? I've got all these officers in my room, outside the room. And the nurse comes in and goes, Hey, your father said he believes gangbangers are coming back to finish off the job. And I go, what are you talking about? And the nurse told me, well, apparently some guys showed up to the hospital and were asking about my condition. And they relayed that, relayed that information to my dad. And he immediately went, gangbangers, they're back for more. And next thing you know, I'm on lockdown. And it's like they ha- I'm trying to sleep and they had to check on me every hour like one of the gangbangers they were worried about snuck into my room and slipped my throat. I'd be asleep. They'd have to wake me up and ask me if I was okay. And I was like, what do you guys really have to do? Oh yes. That's what orders. It's like, you know, like Tom Cruise was coming down from the ceiling with a blade in his uh, teeth (laughs) to do me in. But uh, I'm like, why do you think there's gangbangers? Oh, your father said so. What had actually happened? I found this out 10 years later. I had two cousins in their 20s. They were driving down the highway, going right past the hospital, going to a Pacers game. That might be a hint where we were from. They were going to a Pacers game over the radio. The newscast came on, and they see off. Oh, I'm sorry. Bleep. Um, Detective Supery was shot and is at the hospital. My two cousins in their 20s, Said, hey, we're right by the hospital. They they zipped in, went to the counter and said, hey, how's our cousin doing? And they said, well, he's doing pretty good. We think we'll relay the information that you came by to check on him. And they said, thanks. We're going to the game. Tell him uh, we came by to wish him well. Well, that once that information got from that nurse to my father, it's like the cartel was coming in with guns blazing. Oh my God! Would this be safe to say then these were cousins on your mom's side? If your dad didn't know your cousin? no, these were my these were cousins on my dad's side. He didn't. <laughs> all the all the nurse said was two oh. young men come in there to check check on your son's condition, and he went straight to gangbangers coming back to finish off the job. And and it was his nephews. It was his nephews, <laughs> and so I didn't I didn't get any sleep that night. Oh God! Every hour on the hour they were coming in waking me up. Are you okay? Yes, I'm okay. I'm sleepy, but I'm okay. 
And so then, you know, everybody is treating me like gold, um, you know, well wishing me and all this. And the next day when I get home, everybody's calling me, uh, asking me how I'm doing. I'm talking to everybody. And then I was later, I get a phone call and it says, Detective Super E, this is, this is your mayor. And he goes, how are you doing? And it didn't sound like the mayor, our mayor. It sounded like somebody playing a trick on me. I thought it was Smitty. You guys remember Big Smitty? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yes. he recently passed on. We all miss him. Yep. I thought it was Big Smitty playing a joke on me. And I go, yeah, right. It's the mayor. He goes, well, yes, it is. I go, stop it. I'm not, well, I'm not falling for this shit, Smitty. I know it's not the mayor. Quit fucking with me. And he goes, no, Detective Supery, this is the mayor. And I said, serious? And he goes, yes, I'm seriously not trying to play a joke on you. I just want to know how you're doing. And I want to thank you, you know, for everything you do. And I was very appreciative, but I was very embarrassed that the mayor called me up. And I thought it was one of my goofy partners playing a trick on me. You thought it was Big Smitty. I thought I thought it was Big Smitty pretending to be the mayor, and then I made a fool out of myself. He was very gracious about it, and we had a, a long talk, and he was very nice. And uh, so it it really hadn't, you know, it. I knew I had been shot, but it was kind of it was like an out of body experience. It's like I was looking at somebody. It happened to somebody else because you know I'm still alive, and I wasn't in pain, and I was no longer bleeding. So it. It was very strange, and um, I didn't know how close I came to death about the uh, almost hitting my artery, a quarter of an inch. I wouldn't find that out for another two weeks. Mm. But, you know, as the days went by, I, uh, I, um, I was, de- you know, dealing with people coming up to me, asking me, what was it like? A lot of the SWAT guys were like, what was it like to be in that gun battle? Because remember, the gun battle was only like – a foot and a half to two feet. You know, that's how close our guns were to each other. Which is and, not uncommon. Yeah, that's it's, that's not uncommon. And um, so I was explaining it, and it was, it was weird. It was like I was kind of like a celebrity now. And normally I just thought of myself as a celebrity, but tr- people were treating me like it. So um, I was, you know, I was just – and people were uh, – started talking about uh you might be dealing with the after effects of being like yeah i don't really feel that way i'm lucky to be alive right now and i'm i feel great because i'm still alive i i feel like i'm the luckiest guy in the world so i was feeling good i wasn't having flashbacks the only thing only time i had a flashback was that night i just had a dream in the dream, I saw his face again, right when he shot me and it was so angry. That was the only time I had any type of flashback after the, after that very first night, that one time, never again. And um, so everything was like, you know, I was off for three months. You know, they kept saying, oh, you know what, just take another month off. And I was like, okay, because remember, this was just a clean through bullet hole. And after a couple of weeks, I was feeling fine. Mm-hmm. And um, so they made me go talk to a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. It's just part. It's just a normal thing. 
And as I'm talking to the psychiatrist, he's kind of like going, he's, he's saying the same thing the other officers were talking about. He goes, listen, you're going to be dealing with something called PTSD. And I, I didn't know what it was. I said, what is it? Post-traumatic stress disorder. I go, isn't that what our military have to deal with once they done with combat? He goes, yes, but it happens to police officers too. How often have you seen horrible incidents, you know, death, injury, you know, people in distress? I go, well, quite a bit. And he goes, yeah. And you just recently had that very violent conversation where you shot a, uh, somebody and he shot you. Luckily, we were both alive. The person that I shot, he he's alive. And um, so I said, yeah, I kind of see what you mean. But I was still feeling good. You know, this is like six months, you know, about six months later after. I was still feeling good. It was, it was, I was kind of like, what's that song? Walking on Sunshine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm, I'm like that. You know, I'm walking on sunshine, feeling good. And this PTSD, <laughs> it doesn't. You know, it doesn't affect me. It's not going to bother me. It's not real. For right. Me. Right. It's, it's not going to affect me. Well, I get back to when I get back to work three months later. Well, I go back to doing the exact same thing. They asked me if I wanted to go to a, a different unit or do something else, work behind a desk. I said, I'm not going to let these sons of bitches run me out of the job that I love doing. I went right back to doing the exact same thing I was doing. Hand hand buys, going doing search warrants. The whole thing. Right. And so, well, about a year goes by after being shot. And the uh, Katrina and the Waves soundtrack in my head started uh, evaporating, especially at night. It was more like Metallica screaming at me. Mm. It's like I owed him money and I wasn't paying him back. And they were like, you worthless piece of shit. That's what was going through my head. It'd be like three or four in the morning, these loud screaming voices, you're were telling me you're a worthless piece of shit. You know, you didn't deserve to live. And I was like, what in the hell is going on? And I couldn't, I couldn't stop it. I couldn't control it. And then I noticed at work. I usually, when you're doing undercover stuff, you're calm and cool and collected because if you let your anger get to you, then you become uh, the tunnel vision You're not focused on everything around you. And that's when you can really get hurt when you're doing the undercover stuff. So they had, they had me out on the street making these street corner buys off drug dealers. And, um, that was a lot back then. That was a big problem. 1999, 2000 big problem, street corner drug dealers. Well, I'm, I'm back out there going from corner to corner, buying off these guys and these guys, you know, they're not the most friendly guys in the world because the drug dealers look down on the drug users and they just looked at them as a, how to make money. And the drug users were beneath them. They were just how to make money. So they looked at me um, as a lesser person. And so they would talk shit to me as I drove by. And one day they'd sell to you. The next day they'd go, you piece of shit, get out of here. Fuck you, you piece of shit. You're probably working for 5-0. Normally I would just let that run right off my back. And then it started getting to me. I don't know why. It was like a trigger mechanism. When they started talking shit to me, I started getting mad. And they were used to people just driving away, the drug dealers. I mean, the drug users. 
um, no, none of the drug users would even confront the drug dealers. Well, here's me. They start talking shit to me. And then I slam on the brakes and I'm jumping out of the car and they're like, oh my God, here comes Helter Skelter. And they were all scattering. And I was like, and then it was like, I would kind of calm down a little bit. It's like something took over. And I was like, okay, this isn't good. I need to find out what's going on. This is getting bad at night. I've got voices telling me that I'm not worth it. I'm not worth living on this planet. Uh, you know, other fallen officers that actually died uh, were much better than me. And uh, I should, they should be alive and I should be dead. It was kind of like one of those things. Man. And, uh, and the, the thing that really got me, I didn't really have much of a reaction after I got shot. But not too long after I got shot, a trooper did a traffic stop. And the person he stopped was in a pickup truck. And as the trooper got out of his car, the driver of the vehicle got out of his truck with a rifle and started shooting at the trooper. And the trooper was hiding behind his door. And he was, you know, asking for help, telling what was going on. He knew he was trapped. He couldn't get away. He was over, overmatched in gunpower, and he was doing the best he could, but he did not survive that incident. He was shot and killed. Mm-hmm. When I heard about that, that really hit me hard because I realized he was dealing, he was suffering for 10 to 20 seconds of the, in that gunfight of, of knowing that he couldn't win that battle at the time because you know his, i don't think his backup was there and he was being shot at over and over and then was eventually shot and died and that's what really got me it's like he he didn't get a chance to live and i lived so there was kind of like a guilt thing going on there too other officers dying and i survived mm-hmm. so it started getting worse and worse and worse so i had to go back to that psychiatrist and he was like you know basically like told you I told you he was going to deal with this. And I said, well, how do you cure it? And he just, he apologized. He goes, we don't have a cure. You know, we can do the best we can, but you got to live with it. And I was like, oh my God. And so I found out if I stayed busy and I, and uh, if I concentrated on work, I was okay because it seemed of, you know, buying drugs and doing this stuff. I wasn't thinking about the other stuff, you know, and that's where I felt safe was, you know, going out, guys going in the house. It seemed like the more dangerous it was, the less I was thinking about these, you know, these PTSD demons that were taking over. And then it work is where you felt like you could control everything. That's exactly right. Jay. I was in control of it. I was a controller was going on once I got home and I was in bed asleep and then I would wake up at four in the morning. I couldn't control that, you know, nothing I could do. And then once I, and then once about eight o'clock came around, it dissipated and I was able to start my day, but everything had to be a strict routine. Um, one of my partners, he was severely injured and almost died from having a cut artery from doing a search warrant. He told me, you're going to find out that you have to have structure to keep your sanity. 
And again, this was right after I got shot and I was like, oh, I'm just happy to be alive. Well, I found out he was right. I had to have structure. I had to have a routine. And if it got altered, it messed me up. You know, I got irritable and all this. So I was able to work, help me deal with it. And then my oldest kids, they were involved in sports and I was able to concentrate on them. And so um, I was able to, to live with it. But as it started going on, it started getting worse and worse and worse. And I was doing the best I can, I could to stay sane. But by 2005, uh, one day, told me that I looked kind of gray. Hello, everybody. Jay here from Off Script with Super E. As you can tell, we kind of abruptly ended the episode that we were just airing. And that is due to some personal feelings, some personal stories that came out from Super E due to his PTSD after this event. And A-Train and I have been discussing this and we realize how real PTSD is and it actually affects anywhere from 15 to 35% of all police officers, public safety personnel, dispatchers, and it's very real as came out in the stories that Super E was telling us. At this time, we're not going to continue uh, with this episode. Uh, A-Train, would you agree with that? Yes. Um, you know, the, 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 part, the parts that were not airing, um, I mean, they were, they were powerful for both of us. And, um, you know, we, we never knew the extent of, uh, of, of Super E's you know, PTSD and how it affected him. Um, and, you know, we just thought, um, you know, some of the, some of the things that came up, I, th- I just think they were so personal and, uh, uh, you know, serious. We, we just didn't feel that, that it'd be responsible to, to air that, um, you know, think it's more of a, a private issue, you know, for, for super E and, and his family and everything. And, um, so, you know, I know the listeners, you know, probably would love to hear more of it, but we just, we just didn't think it was really the responsible thing, but I will tell you, I mean, I, I don't want to speak for you, Jay, but, um, I mean, it really, uh, you know, I, I know PTSD is real. I, I just had no idea how it affected our friend and I feel bad about it because I, you know, feel like maybe could have done something for him at the time. Um, well, and, and this it is, if you think about it, this is the classic example of not knowing, you know, if, if you knew Super E the way we know him and every day when we would see him work, even after, um, you know, he was shot in the line of duty and all the things he went through for several years after that, even after that, you, you would, you would not know it just showing up and right. work every day. Right. So right. that being said, if you do see some signs in your coworker, friends, family members, there is help out there. There is help available. PTSD is real, especially in public safety personnel. And one of the main things that uh, leads to the, you know, this 
post-traumatic stress, it's not necessarily just a major event. I mean, we see things every day that, that the normal person doesn't see, and that's part of our job is to do that. But there are organizational stressors that go along with it as well. Right. So encourage anyone um, to, to either seek help if you feel like you have issues or if you see it in a coworker or a friend or family member to urge them to get help. Because like A-Train said, we had no idea it was that deep. Right. Yeah, we did. Now, I do want the listeners to know, you know, uh, Super Reed did get professional help and he's worked through all this stuff. And so, you know, today he's fine. Um, but, you know, he really, um, he went through a struggle and it was, you know, the, the help that he got, you know, helped get him through it, helped him process all of it. So I just want to, I want to stress that to the listeners because he got the help he needed, everything he, he is a okay today, you know, um, absolutely. He'll be ready to, uh, jump right back into that book of tales. He has uh, right. Continue this podcast. Um, we just, uh, we can't stress enough that seek professional help because like a train said, Super, he did that. He got the help and he's better for it today. I yeah. think just um, talking through with A Train and I and bringing those things up again, I don't think he even thought that uh, he was going to have the reaction that he had. What do you think, A Train? I, I know he didn't because he, he said that to me. He said, I had absolutely no idea that just talking about it again was going to bring up, you know those the feelings that he had at the time and uh so yeah i think it surprised him um but you know as as his friend i i was i was glad that we were able to hear it you know um but uh but yeah super folks super he's okay he he's he's a-okay right now um but uh but yeah that was the first jane i'd heard and um yeah it was it was tough. It was tough to hear. It, it was. And uh, before we close out here, I do want to just go over some symptoms, signs of uh, PTSD. And some are very simple and some can be not so simple. So, you know, some, some signs are, are simply uh, if you're feeling upset that things that remind you of, of what happened, um, an event or things you may have seen on the job or heard or felt, um, nightmares, of course, the vivid memories, flashbacks. We all, if those things are all on the forefront of signs and symptoms, if you start to feel like you're emotionally cut off from others, you know, that's that you look at a guy like super E and I mean, he was, you know, certainly at work, he wasn't. And, right. Oh, I don't know. It sounds maybe he, when he would go home from work, you know, he felt like that that's not where he was in control of things. So, but, um, I'm just glad he got the help. And, um, and, and if you start to feel numb or you're losing interest in, in things that you used to care about, you know, we all have, uh, hobbies and things that we enjoy to do. If those things aren't as enjoyable anymore as they used to be, maybe there's something else going on. And, uh, you constantly feel like you're on guard, um, irritable, having angry outbursts. Z, these are all 
signs. And of course, the difficulty sleeping, um, concentrating, and if you feel jumpy or easily startled, and that could be due to something that you don't even know is deeply buried in there that that you went through. And it couldn't it doesn't just have to been something that happened last week. It's something that could have happened last year, two years, or however many, you know, however long ago. Uh, Atrium, would you have anything to add to that? Well, I mean, all these things you said are are symptoms that Super E, you know, shared with us. And um, and it was a it was well after you know, his event that these things, you know, reared their ugly head. Right. Um, right. So, yeah, it, it, sometimes it's a, it's a delayed response. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and close out the end of this segment of Super E Down. We certainly will be bringing you a new podcast real soon. Because Super E still got that big thick book of tales, he's gonna <laughs> reach in, right. Yes, reach right in there and give us something real soon. Until then, it's Jay and my man A Train. Say goodbye, A Train. See you, everybody. We'll talk soon. Bye. <laughs>